Hi, my name is Brad. I'm on staff here today, and we got a little bit of a different Sunday today. Uh, as you can see, there's a big tub up here, which is a good thing because we have baptisms today. So we're, we're going to celebrate people making their confession that Christ is Lord. So that's, that's going to happen after communion today. So stick around if you go grab kiddos. Uh, hurry back so you can see that as well. A uh, couple other announcements really quick before I get into the sermon. Um, next week is a big week for our kids and student ministries. It's pop-up Sunday. It's like where we celebrate kids moving up to different classes. There's a skating party in the afternoon. I'm like super pumped for that. Um, And then the student group is going to have a hangout at Dairy Queen after that. So it's like just all kinds of celebration. So you're not going to want to miss that. For like times, dates, all the information on that, you can check the calendar, QR code it, check the the connect table outside uh, when you first walk in for information on that. Also, there's a women's uh, prayer and worship night tomorrow. I think it starts at seven. You you can get the time for that as well. It's gonna be right here. It's just gonna be an intentional time of prayer and singing. um, So you can have some time with the Lord. Um, Post Mother's Day hangover, right? Happy Mother's Day, by the way. So that's my second thing. I wanna celebrate moms today. Um, You have a day today that gets to celebrate all the things that you do. None of us would be here without mothers, right? Like, biologically, like really like, um, but also just, I know in my own life, uh, I have, um, I see every day, all the things that my wife does to sacrifice for our family and moms here. Uh, I just was reflecting on this this week. We have such a great model of, of moms here that are striving to take their faith seriously, to follow Christ while carrying all the things with work and family and kids and, and marriage and all that. And I'm just so grateful for that model. I'm just really, so you, you carry a heavy burden, moms. And I just want you to feel celebrated, feel peace, have rest today. There's nothing else you have to prove today. You are loved and you are celebrated by your families. Uh, but also there's, there's this idea like there's, we can have times of joy and times of pain at the same time. So this day, no doubt, has some pain for a lot of people, whether it's challenges having kids, whether it's loss relationally, or even just like the loss of a mother, just not being here anymore. Um, and that's really hard. It's really hard for a lot of people. And I just, wanna know, I just wanna tell you whether you're in a place of joy or peace or both today, God is present in all of it. And he loves you. He loves you deeply, moms. Um, and this church loves you. And we hope that you feel celebrated today. Um, so I'm gonna pray for moms real quick and then we're gonna dive into the word. Is that okay? We do that? Let's pray. Holy Father, I am so grateful that we have such a great cloud of witnesses here that help encourage us. And I'm thankful for moms today. I pray for endurance and energy for them. I pray for rest for them today though. I pray that they would feel loved and celebrated for all the things that you've called them to do and the work of, I pray that you bless the work of their hands and raising up kids, working and carrying all the things and be present and close I pray that you would have a particular presence with those who feel pain on this day as well. Please bless this word. I pray that you would um, bless the work of my hands this week. And I pray that you are honored. And I pray for ears to hear today. And I pray for your spirit to move deeply. I'm grateful that we get to see baptism today and we get to take communion today. And I pray that we would um, have a particular time with you that you would speak to us in Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians 5. And this text actually may, may address a topic that some, some moms, especially of boys, are familiar with. 
You'll, you'll understand when I read the text and when you look at, look at it. It's going to be up on the screen, Galatians 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. See, I told you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Yes, he just said that. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, I was um, talking to Pastor Matt about this passage on the phone, and we were just processing it. We, we do that all the time when I'm preaching, when he's preaching. We just talk about the sermon and, and this text. And I just like visually, like we started talking about, imagine there's a group of people in the church who were saying, you know, whoever, like a large group, and they were coming in. And if you want to be a Christian, you have to do these particular rituals. And if not, you're not really a Christian. Imagine they were a group of people who were grabbing people at the door when they walk in. They were bringing it up at every small group, every community group, every church event, and they were putting this burden or this doubt on somebody's mind that if you don't do these things, you are not a Christian. And they're confronted. They go through the process of church discipline, and finally, they're unrepentant, and they have to meet with the pastors. And Pastor Matt walks in with the other pastors, and they sit down, and they say, hey, if you don't stop doing this, if you don't repent, I think you need to cut off your private parts. You're like, oh my gosh. You're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, some of you are covering your eyes. That's, that's, that's what Paul wrote here. Imagine this letter would have been written and read throughout the entire church. And that's what it says. And they don't even know who's doing it. They don't know who's spreading this stuff. It makes you super uncomfortable. I'm kind of uncomfortable saying that. <laughs> But it, it's, it's uncomfortable. And you're, some of you are like, that has no place in church. Why would you ever use that language? And you're right. And that's how strongly Paul feels about your freedom in Christ. That's how strongly he feels. He uses direct offensive language to basically say this, that anybody who jeopardizes your freedom in Christ, they have no place here. Your, this is a place of freedom for you. And anybody who would jeopardize that needs to be cut off. He, hence the word sever. That's, that's wordplay from Paul. 
hence the topic. And so he's like, we need, this is like a big deal to him. That I would not use language like that unless it was that big of a deal. He feels very strongly. But what's really interesting about Paul is like he has this weird relationship with circumcision for some reason. Like it's weird. In Galatians 5, 1 through 6 that we just read, you're like, oh, he's starkly against it. But in Acts 6, 16, 3, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, he's like, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they knew that his father was a Greek. That's weird. So you're, I thought you were against it, but you tell Timothy, your protege to get circumcised. But in Galatians 2, 3, earlier on in Galatians, but then Titus, his other protege, he said, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. So which is it, Paul? Like why? Like basically, I, I think it's confusing. And you're maybe at like, you may be like, oh, what, what is he getting at? Galatians 5, 6 then, he doesn't clear up the confusion. 5, 6, for in Christ, neither uncircumcision nor uncircumcision matters or counts for anything. He basically, he says it doesn't matter. And I'm like, then why are you mad, bro? Like, what are you mad about? Like, he is really, really aggressively angry here. But it's actually, I don't think it's actually about circumcision. I, it, this reminded me of a friend I have in the church. Particular, this particular friend, he does like, he's like a, he's got the superpower. No matter how heated a situation or how cool a situation is, or it's a problem or it's a relational problem, he's got this like superpower to be like, hey, what are you actually mad about? Like, what's, what's going on underneath? When there's a problem to solve, hey, we have to do X, Y, Z. And he's like, what are we actually trying to solve here? He's like, he pauses. I'm not the guy who pauses. I'm the guy who has to be paused, right? God loves those people too. <laughs> but you might, you might like, I appreciate this person in my life because he's always asking that question. What, do you, what is that actually, what is your, you're angry about this? It's not a big deal. What does that actually say about you? So what is Paul's anger really saying here? What's he, what's he doing? I think Paul's anger is not about circumcision. I think his anger is directed at what he sees as the greatest enemy to your freedom and my freedom. And that enemy is religion. You're like, that's strange. I thought Christianity was a religion. No, he's, I think he's, he's attacking the greatest enemy. It's religion. And, and you gotta see this guys, for the Jewish people, this was a very important practice for men to receive this. Imagine you did a ritual for thousands of years. It was given to the patriarch of your faith, Abraham, has a sign of, of the covenant that he was gonna make a great nation through his children. Imagine that. Thousands of years you've practiced this. And this was a sign that you were in, that your children were in, that your spouse was in. You're in. That's your sign of approval. That's your sign that you're in. And when you have a group in the early church that's predominantly Jewish, and then an influx of non-Jewish people come in, Greeks, Gentiles of all sorts come in, what do you think they're gonna say? It's like, you have to have a marker to show you're in. There's something you have to do to show that you're in. And that's what religion is. That's what religion ultimately is. It's a sign for you. The Bible uses words like justification, righteousness, that's what has Mike used earlier in liturgy. Ultimately, religion and laws are a means to show that you're in. It's a means to show that you're enough. 
And I, it's really interesting because the Bible is full all over of religious people trying to show their end and God rejects them. God actually rejects them. Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Cain tended the ground and gave the work of his hands in Genesis 4. And God rejected his sacrifice because he did it with his own hands. The golden calf in Exodus 32. They needed a God to protect them, so they fashioned one with their own hands. God rejects them and, and they go into judgment. Saul and the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 13, he offers a sacrifice to God, trying to protect them and so they, they can win a battle against the Philistines. And ultimately him offering the sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to, this religious act, it cursed him. He was no longer viewed as the king of Israel by God. And that's when David's anointed shortly after. The prophet Jonah was schooled in his religious piety and God humbles him on the outskirts of Nineveh. And all of Israel is cast into judgment because of their religious work and introduction of foreign gods. The New Testament also is full of examples. Jesus constantly confronts the Pharisees and Sadducees in the gospels. They do all these work to validate their righteousness and Jesus rejects them and tells them that you don't know me or my father. The rich young ruler, which Pastor Eric preached about a, a couple months ago, the rich young ruler who kept the commandments from his youth walked away from Jesus weeping because he thought he had done enough and it wasn't and he wept. And then Judas calls out a woman for offering anointing oil to Jesus and pours it over his head. And Judas cries out, that could have been used to help the poor. That religious piety only to steal money for himself and later betray Jesus. In Revelation, there's a really interesting thing. This, this church, the Laodicean church, they praise God for their blessings, but they're spiritually blind and Jesus actually spews them out of his mouth. There's just so many examples. And I think the point of the Bible is affirming that throughout history, people and groups have used religion, rituals, and laws to show that they're enough. But, but religious efforts to please God have left them cut off from him. But I, I don't think in our modern time in the church that we're actually that far from it. In the Christian world, the church is riddled with empty religion. If you're familiar with church history, this is the idea of penance and sacerdotalism. You have to do these works in order to make yourself right with God. It's religion. Holiness and fundamentalist movement. I grew up in a fundamentalist movement. If you, and you had to live quote unquote holy lives. You wear certain clothes. You do certain things, you read certain Bibles, you express yourself in these ways and everyone else is outside and they, they're not in. We show that we're enough. The overwhelming expansion of nationalism in our churches, you must vote for this candidate or issue or you're voting against God's will. It's all over. The movements that promote that we're the true church or that our doctrine is the way to experience God or even just in the simple, like this, this movement of like more programs, we need better music, we need more stuff to keep the church occupied. And it makes us feel like we're making a difference in our lives and in the community. But actually it doesn't seem to work. The more we do, it doesn't seem to work. And it, we see it. Unfortunately, the place that was intended to be a haven away from religious works in order to prove ourselves, they've become temples of laws, and people are tired of doing empty religious work. Sorry, this mic is crazy. People are tired 
They're tired of empty, exhausting rituals to try to prove that they're enough and prove that their life has meaning. They're tired. And we see it all over because I don't have to quote all of the Pew Research studies and all this stuff to show you that people are leaving the church in massive numbers. I don't have to tell you that because some of them are your friends. They used to sit by you. They used to come over your house. They used to be in your groups and they're gone. They've left. And we just have to sit back and ask ourselves, but why? Why? Galatians 5, 7, Paul asked this very question. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you? Who did this? Another way of saying this is where's all this religion coming from? I actually, I think the answer is really simple. I think it's coming from the world. And you're like, what? The world? I thought the world was secular. I was like, yes. I actually think the world is deeply religious. Deeply. And secularism is the, that's the religion. I think people are leaving the church and embracing the secular more than ever. But I would say that people are more religious than ever. David Zoll actually wrote the book on this idea. And I'm just gonna, he puts it way better than me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this long quote by him. The religious impulse, it turns out, is easier to rebrand than to extinguish. This runs counter to popular perception. Bombarded with poll results and declining levels of church attendance and belief in God, we assume that more and more people are abandoning the faith and making their own meaning. But what these polls actually tell us is more straightforward. They tell us that confidence in the religious narratives we've inherited have collapsed. What they fail to report is that the marketplace and replacement religion is booming. We may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. Religious observance hasn't faded a pace secularization so much has migrated. And we've got the anxiety to prove it. We're seldom not in church. Religion is not merely that which explains the inexplicable, but the lens through which you sort the data of your days, rank your priorities and focus your desires. We'll call this small R religion. A person's religion is shorthand for the shape that lens takes, namely the specific ways it refracts what we see and directs our longings. This can be a set of unconscious assumptions about the world, or it can be a perspective that's deliberately adopted like an ism of some kind. Most often it's both. It is what we learn or what we lean on to tell us we're okay that our lives matter. Another name of all the ladders we spend our days climbing toward a dream of wholeness. It refers to our preferred guilt management system. Our small, our religion is the justifying story of our life. Ritual and community and all the other stuff come second. A conventional person of faith would likely insert something about religion having to do with worship. We fail to recognize that what we're actually worshiping when we obsess over food and money and politics is not the thing itself, but how the thing makes us feel, if only for a moment. Our religion is that which we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but enoughness. Religion is the means by which we feel like we're enough and that our lives have meaning. And I think we're more religious in our culture than ever. And some of these replacement religions are actually like good things. They're good things. And, and like, actually at face value, you probably wouldn't have a problem with them. 
They actually promote, though, a new form of piety, like activism. Like we stand up, like I, I'm an activist. I stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. I take a stand for something. I show that I'm enough through politicism. I stand on the right or left because I want what's best for everyone else. Nationalism, as I noted earlier, the country I live in is the greatest and I care about its direction and future for my kids. Maybe it's inclusivism. This is really pious. I love everyone and people should be exactly who they wanna be no matter what it does to them. Maybe it's lighthearted things like tourism or sports. I love sports. I devote a lot of time to sports and money to sports. Tourism, it's like, it just it expresses, I get, look at my life. I get to experience all these awesome things. Don't you wish you had what I had? I have such a life of meaning and fulfillment. Look at all these places and restaurants and things I get to do. Don't you wish you were me? My life is cool. It's awesome. For sports, it's like, <laughs> my team gives me a community, whether it's professional or little league. True that, baseball, basketball, soccer. I coached it. I coached them and I saw it. There was community. There's camaraderie. And some of that was good. It's not even bad. But it's, what's interesting about sports, you can go to a tailgate and you see rituals, you see priestly garments, right? You see all the, all the regalia. You, you even have songs to show your unity. Who do you think will beat them Bengals? And I love those things. I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying it's, it's religious. Parenting, Mother's Day, right? My kids need to have the best version of childhood they can possibly have. And if not, I failed as a parent. I read all the mommy blogs and I spend and exhaust myself. I gotta get the right rocker. I've gotta get the right crib. Also, we can have the best version of childhood for our kids. I wanna be the right mom. I wanna be the right dad. And you're exhausting yourself trying to show that. Sexuality, all my urges are justified. And my personal experience and feelings are derivatives of, of my personhood. And the, I actually, I think this is the greatest one. It's busyness. Busyness. You feel busy today? You feel stressed out today? Zal, who I just read, he says that, that busyness serves as a barometer of your personal justification. It tells me that I'm needed. It tells me that I'm valued and that I'm desired. The busier I am, it's like, I can be exhausted. That's like, that's like holy words. I'm exhausted. Then people need you. You're enough. You have meaning. Look at all the things I'm doing. But it, this can also turn ugly. There's a religious mindset that is really, that should be rejected by the church and all people. We see it in racism, sexism, ageism, whatever, whatever one of those you want to name, right? My, my ethnicity, my culture, is better. I have meaning because of that. It's a religion. Sexism. I'm better because of I'm this or this. My gender is more superior or my age matters more because I have more energy. I get to have more stake in what's happening in the world. And we disregard certain age groups. I mean, we do, and what's interesting is that we scroll through our holy law book in our pockets our phone. It's a holy law book, right? Instagram, social media. And it's, it, what I find interesting about this, we, we, we find meaning in our lives in these things. And the crazy thing is, is that mark keeps moving all the time. It's, it's never the same. There's always more that I have to do 
to prove myself, to show that I'm a good parent, that I show that I'm busy, to show that I love my sports team. I, I have to show it. And then the mark keeps moving. It's never enough. And that's what religion does. It's always looking for more. There's more to do, more to see, and more meaning to be had. But we have to stop here for a second and we have to ask ourselves, what is it doing? What is it doing to you? What's it doing to us? Think about that. I think it's killing us. I think we're dying under the illusion of this life. David Zoll again said this, no matter how close we get or how much we achieve, we never quite arrive at enough. How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? Just a little bit more. Our lives attest that the threshold does not exist, at least not where fallible and finite human beings are concerned. Instead, people are suffering and dying under the torture of the fantasy self they're falling to become. It's like I'm watching Mean Girls with my wife. The limit does not exist, right? It's calculus, right? There's no limit. There, it, it will never stop. There's always more. And it's killing us. It's killing us. A, a 2018 Pew, Pew Research study shared that one in 10 US adults feels lonely frequently. While loneliness is more common among some groups than others, the share of people who feel this way is fairly consistent across most major demographic groups. Roughly one in 10 Americans say they feel lonely all or most of the time across gender, racial, and, and ethnic and age groups. There are few differences by community type or party affiliation. Just wrap your mind around that. One in 10 adults feels lonely all the time, no matter all the things that they're doing, no matter how much family, no matter how, no matter how much success they have, they're lonely all the time. Not a healthy amount of loneliness all the time. One in 10. By the way, did you catch a date on that? 2018, that ain't COVID. I bet it's higher now. 2018, COVID just revealed it. I bet it's higher. They feel lonely all the time. Paul said that religion severs us from Christ in Galatians 5.4, as I noted earlier, but evidently it also severs us from each other. Pastor Eric noted this week that there's, there's a study out there, he re read somewhere that people who post more on social media like they, the more posts you have, the lonelier they actually feel. That's crazy to think about. Like they're posting and you're like, oh, they, they've got so much going on. Actually, they might be the most lonely. So if religion is the enemy of your freedom, how do we resist? That's our, that's our great question today. How do we resist? How can we be free of religion? And I racked my brain for some creative way this week to share with that with you, but it's actually really simple. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus died and was raised so you and I could be free. There is nothing else. There's nothing else. The, the, like the tension in me by saying that is like, I always like think, I was like, yes, I believe the gospel, but there's always a but, right? There's always a but. There's always more I should do. There's more I should say. That's how inundated we are with religion in the world. And that's how much we're consuming. We always think there's more to do and more to say. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. 
It's finished. No more. You have nothing else to prove. There's nothing for you to prove. You can lay everything down. There's no rituals. There's no work. There's no more value or worth for you. It's all found in him. It's all found in him. And some of my friends here today, uh, and I know you're familiar with the Bible, like who are like Bible, Bible nerds like me. Doesn't Paul say in Philippians 2 to tell us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? You might be objecting to this. Like, what, what do you mean? Paul tells us to work out our salvation. And I'd be like, yes, but what's the work? What's the work? Jesus has actually asked this very same thing in John 6, 28 through 29. He says this, they said, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is your work that you're called to is to believe in Jesus, to believe that he's enough. Religion, I think, is of the devil because it steals, it kills, and it destroys as you try to constantly prove that you're enough and it leaves us anxious and isolated and afraid. The gospel gives us rest, though. You can lay it down to Jesus and it says that nothing else I can do can, I have nothing to prove. There's nothing I have to do here. Christ has proved that he's enough and his perfect love cast out all fear. It removes it. I'm completely free. And in Christ. He says, Jesus said this, I'm free indeed, fully free. And this is the beauty of our freedom though. It's not just for you and me. It's not just for you and me. It's actually for the sake of others. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, Paul said this, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus calls this the greatest commandment. James calls it the royal law. Isn't that interesting? Law, religion, this is your law. It's love. The gospel gives you rest. You can rest. You can, you can come and realize that there's nothing you have to prove in every aspect of your life. You are free to love. You're free to be loved and to love God and to love others. You can be generous with your time in that case because there's nothing you have to prove with your stuff. You can be generous with your time and your money and your possessions because you're not missing out on anything. There's nothing to prove. You're free to love. Or as Augustine said it, love God and do whatever you please. If you love, you can do whatever you want. That's how free you are because it's not about gratifying yourself or your flesh. It's about loving God and loving others. So in closing, I, I just have to be honest with you about this whole topic. Like I, I, I think it's really easy for me and for, for many of you would probably agree that I fall into religion all the time. Like I just like, I, I major in minors. I, it's, it's so... I think it's so simple for us to believe, to say that it's the gospel, but it's really hard. Simple doesn't mean easy. Like I, I, I'm constantly been, being bombarded with images and ideology and media that's promoting religion. And so like, I think there's like, we have to put these into practice. Like it's, this isn't a work, it's a practice for us to like actually get these into our bones, get the gospel into our bones. And I, I actually think there are two helpful things that help you practice this, this, 
gospel freedom that you're given. And actually it's derived from the book of First John. If you ever read First John, it, it can be summarized in two words, the Christian life in two words, it's confession and love. And so here are my two, here are my two like suggestions really. I think this is the way we live out the gospel. The first one is we live with honest confession. And the second is that we receive and show the love of Christ. But I wanna talk about confession for a moment. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James would write that if we confess to one to another, we confess these sins one to another. We live with honesty about who we are and how we fail to believe the gospel. But, but this confession is not just one part, it's two parts, right? If you, if you guys follow liturgy each week, Mike, Mike does a really good job of doing this each week. There's actually two parts to confession. It's the first part is yes, I am a sinner and I am a failure and I have all these things in my life where I live for religion or I live for myself, right? That's, that's part one. You can't stay there though. Because if you stay there, you're gonna go to a religion and try to prove yourself and prove your worth. There's a second part to confession. It's confessing that Jesus is Lord. It's Jesus is Lord. That is my confession each week. It's like, I, I call it like holy swagger, right? We walk in with our limp, we walk in with our wounds. I'm a wretched man. I am a failure. I'm a worm, right? But I don't stay there because my head's lifted up high because I'm in Christ. Jesus is my Lord. Well, I'm losing my mic. He passes the test. He's all I need, right? That's that constant work that we're doing each week is we're saying, yes, I'm a failure, and I'm, but I'm also in Christ. They're both true at the same time. It's, it's tension. But this is why Paul could say, I'm, he was a persecutor of the church, a wretched man, but at the same time, he could say, by God's grace, I am what I am. I, there's nothing I have to prove. It's all proven in Christ. Confession frees us to receive grace and reminds us that you have nothing else to prove. Second, we receive the love of Christ. First John 4, 11 through 12, beloved, if God, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Practicing the love of God is also twofold. We also, we have to receive that, God loves you. For some of you in here, that's very hard for you to receive. You don't feel lovable. God loves you. And he's inviting you to receive his love. But also we share in, in that love. Because he's loved you, we can love others and we can fulfill the law of Christ. And what's crazy about this whole thing, and this is what John was saying, you might actually see God like he might actually show up like in the way that you love one another. And I think if we practice these things together, I think that we can at least get the gospel into our bones each and every week and, and, and make that a practice. But now as we go to um, today, communion, uh, we have two, two works today. Two, these are not works of salvation. These are actually proclaiming your freedom. Um, first is baptism. It's a sign that you identify with the confession that Jesus is Lord. We have people taking that today. 
And I, I hope that while it's being done, I want you to put yourself in your position of your baptism, of your baptism. If you're in Christ today and you've received baptism, remember that you made that confession yourself. And if you have not, consider what it would be like to make that confession yourself. And then we have communion and communion is the reminder of the price of your freedom. It's the price. On the night that Jesus died, he took the, the bread, which represents his body, broken, and the cup, which represents his bloodshed, and it's, this is in the juice of the wine, whatever your conscience permits, rip off a piece and dip it in. But as you do that, I want you to be, remember that you're free. You're free from religion. You're free from law. There's nothing that you have to do to prove yourself as you take that today. Um, after communion today, we're gonna have baptism. So if you're grabbing kids, make sure you make it back in time. Um, I'm so glad you're here today. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this time. I thank you for allowing us to gather together today. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in the words that were, that were given. I pray um, that we would remember our freedom, that we would practice our freedom through confession and love. Thank you for what you're doing in lives here today. And if anyone has a hard heart today, I pray that they would uh, be softened, that they would hear your calling and that they would see that you are Lord and that they need you. Help us lay down our religions. Help us lay down all of our efforts because there's nothing we have to prove in you. In Christ's name, amen.